These days, it's harder than ever to grow your business without consistently good sales conversations. What should you and your team be saying, asking, and sharing? We have six experts here to help. It's a special digest version of the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help executives and leaders to grow their businesses through more consistently effective sales conversations. I do that through consulting, training, and both virtual and in-person speaking. Our shared goal in this podcast is to close the common and expensive gap in many B2B companies. That's the gap in confidence sellers have in the value of what they offer compared to the confidence they have, or rather the confidence they lack in how to talk about what they offer. Too many good sellers and good companies struggle with this. They have a message that unintentionally makes them sound like another commodity, or they lack consistency because their team is delivering the message a hundred different ways, or they have only a few people, a few messengers who can create opportunities and generate revenue. Our mission is to address these common challenges and help you grow your business. Now, as we crank up another phase of the Manager Message podcast, I know we have a number of new listeners. I've spoken to several of them. When you're a podcast listener and find a new interesting show, it helps to quickly get a sense of the topics and guests worth catching up on. To that goal, we're putting together a few episodes called Digests. In these Digest episodes, we'll put into easily digestible form some highlights around specific topics, the components that can help you create consistently effective sales conversations for your company to better connect with customers to ultimately grow your business faster. Our first digest is about creating those great sales conversations for you individually and especially across a team or a company. We've already had some impressive guests who have offered unique and expert insights that can help in that regard. You're about to hear from Frank Cessno, Ian Altman, Brent Adamson, Mark Hunter, Jeb Blunt, and Dory Clark. We'll begin with Frank Cessno. Now, you might say, Jim, isn't that the journalist, Frank Sesno? Is he really a sales expert? Yes, this is the Frank Sesno whom you saw for years on CNN interviewing political and business leaders all over the world. Frank is an expert on asking questions, and we spoke after he published an excellent book called Ask More. Frank categorizes several types of questions worth mastering. One category he calls diagnostic questions, and we spoke about ways that we in business can learn from diagnosticians in medicine in order to connect with customers and build relationships. These diagnostic questions, which are really the what's going on here questions, need to be careful and thorough. You're looking for information. You want to open the conversation in a non-threatening way so that you will put your patient or your counterpart at ease. You don't want to start someone on the defensive. You don't want them to start feeling on edge. You want them to be comfortable. You want to determine what it is you need to know. 
And what good doctors do, they will ask you an open-ended question, what we call an open-ended question, how you doing, to see where you go. And then they will narrow in, they will do history, what's called history taking. Well, how long has this been going on? And when did you first notice it? And has it changed over time? And what have you done for it? And has that worked? Because they are taking that information and their knowledge and combining them to try to figure out before they hook you up to some diagnostic machine, what may be going on. I refer to these as sort of the ground floor of questioning. And it's really information gathering. And it's done or should be done in every business and every home and every you know critical decision that a family confronts. Because if you don't have the information and you don't have a good lay of the land, you're working from a flawed set of facts, right? There's a lot of talk about this in the country these days, right? You got to get the facts first and you need to ask the right questions to get the right information so you know that you've got the full story. And to take it from a physician-patient setting into a more professional services, a business diagnostic situation as well. Right. So I think I hear you saying, I'm not sure if my questioning strategy here is very good, Frank, but it's important to establish the current state, to have the counterpart describe it in their language and to determine what's changing or if anything has been changing before jumping in with what you think's wrong. One of the people I interviewed for the book is a turnaround artist. He's a Wall Street guy and he's taken, you know, the basket case businesses in the country and he's gone in and he's done what he's had to do. And he gives himself about a three week listening tour where he goes and he grills everybody. What do you do? What's gone wrong? What have you done in the past? Who have you been talking to? What's your supply chain like? Whatever it is. And to really have a sense as to who's connected and who's not. And yes, that is very, very important, as you say. And in a professional environment, it depends who you are, right? If you're new, you're going to be like the doctor. You have to do a history taking. You have to figure out how long it's hurt and what have people tried to do about it in the past. If you've been there for a while and it's a new problem that's cropped up, you've got to identify the symptoms around that problem. If the customer tastes are changing, for example, who is the customer? Who is the new customer? How do they differ? How are you going to determine what those new customers are actually looking for, whether that's a focus group, more questions, or some other means? So it's that sense of curiosity, like what's going on here is probably the key to this. Next up is Ian Altman, the co-author of Same Side Selling and other best-selling books. Ian is a master at helping sellers build a more collaborative approach to solving customers' problems, treating sales not so much as a battle to win, but instead as a puzzle to solve with your customer. In our conversation, Ian talked about the sequence of a valuable sales conversation and continued this theme about asking good questions. So the challenge is that the easiest thing for us to talk about is our stuff, our products and our services. However, when I take people through that scenario, when I take executives through that scenario and ask them, what questions do you ask? You notice that no one says, what is this product? How does it work? They don't ask those questions because all they want to know is from their own perspective, what problem is this going to solve for me? Why is that problem worth solving? And am I confident I'm going to get the results that I need to achieve? So what we need to do is ask better questions. And what I mean by that is too often people will jump into 
their own presentations. I often refer to that as premature presentation. <laughs> and the idea is that, you know, gee, let me give you a background of our company and what we do and all these things that no one really cares about. Instead of, what if instead we said, well, gee, so you said you have this issue going on in your business and you're looking at our solution. You know what? I'm not sure it can do everything you need yet. Can we take a step back? Let me understand how you've been trying to solve this in the past, because if it can't do it, we certainly don't want you to spend money on a solution that isn't the right fit. And what it does is it immediately conveys to your prospect or client that their outcome or result is more important than you making the sale. And that immediately puts you on the same side of the table with them because now you're both trying to see do our puzzle pieces fit. That's one key element to it. The next part of it is this whole idea of on the education side is not only is it important that we understand what's important to the client, but if we ask the right questions, sometimes they will be reminded of why this is or is not very important. And if the best answer you can get in a selling situation is yes, rest assured the worst answer is not no. The worst answer is a maybe. Right. And maybe ends up you get sucked into the vortex of evil <laughs> and it just goes on forever. It's usually just a veiled no. And most of us don't want to be in the vortex of evil. So the idea is that we're just trying to get clarity and uncover the truth as quickly as possible. And that's something that we spend a fair amount of time getting to in same side selling, which is, look, effective sales is not about persuasion or coercion. It's not about creating a false sense of urgency. It's about getting to the truth as quickly as possible. Do they have a problem that's worth solving? And are we the right people to help them solve it? And if so, we got something to talk about. And if not, then it's in both of our interests to move on. In episode 68, I spoke with Brent Adamson, who you might know from The Challenger Sale, The Challenger Customer, and other bestsellers. We're all familiar with the overwhelming volume of information that's available to buyers these days. Brent pointed out that it isn't just the volume of data, but also it's generally high quality. So what are the implications for B2B selling? I think about the journey that we've all been on, not as marketers or sellers, but as human beings, just as consumers and just people in today's world, right? So that it's no surprise to anyone that we'd say that we now live in a world that's just awash in information. That's been true for the better part of probably, what, 10 years easily, if not more. But largely in the B2B space, it's been a world where your customers are empowered with all this knowledge and all this information primarily online, and they can do their own learning. They can put off contacting a supplier later and later in the purchase process. And when they do call up a supplier, there's very little left to discuss, but prices and discounts. But but that story has largely been a story up until now of your customers have got all this information they can choose from, and it's just it's a story of separating signal from noise. Let me let me go out and do my research and figure out which information is believable, which information is most relevant, and cherry pick the information that's most relevant and believable to me, and then let's make a decision on that. But last year, Jim, when we went out, we studied customers. We simply asked them a very straightforward question on a scale of one to seven. We simply asked them, to what degree did you find the information that you encountered as part of this purchase to be generally of high quality? And 89% of the over 1,000 B2B customer stakeholders we surveyed said, yes, they agreed or agreed strongly that generally speaking, the information encountered as part of that purchase was, was of high quality, which, which tells you something I think fundamentally important and just profoundly interesting about today's world, which is today's world is not just a world awash in high quantities of information. Today is a world that is awash in high quantities of high quality information. And what I mean by that is 
there's so much information out there to be sure, but it's not just any information. It's actually pretty good information. It's backed by data. It's backed by evidence. It's backed by research. It's got white papers. It's got subject matter experts. It's thought leadership. And so now if I'm a customer and I go out and do my own due diligence, my own research, I just get almost immediately overwhelmed because I got one company telling me I should zig and they've got data, they've got analytics, they've got case studies, they've got experts saying I should zig. And another company is there telling me to zag and they've got data, they've got experts, they've got you know uh, uh, analytics and subject matter experts telling me I should zag. And I don't know what to do because one tell me go left, the other one tell me to go right. They're both believable, but what do I do? So now I'm just confused at a higher level, leaving me just maybe to decide not to decide. And, and if you play this out in this world, and this is where I think Challenger gets so interesting because in some ways, We've been telling companies, and I think absolutely rightly so, over the last 10 years, you need to build this machine that delivers what we've come to call commercial insight out into the marketplace, which is content and information that makes your customer not smarter about you, but makes them smarter about themselves, learn, teach them new ways to make money or save money. But in that world, where if you get really, really good at, at, at challenging your customer's thinking, in some ways, you are just contributing to this underlying problem. And, and just one last thought, and I, I promise I'll take a breath, but there's something so interesting from the marketers on the call today. The thing that's so interesting, if you ask, well, how the heck did we get here? In many ways, we as suppliers are all complicit in this trend because there's there's not a single supplier. I imagine you've seen the same thing. In fact, some ways, Jim, you and I have been there at the front seat helping customer companies. Yeah, absolutely. Trend, which is there's not a single company out there for the last five years who hasn't said, you know what? Whether they've done challenge or commercial insight or not, just park that, it doesn't matter. But if you think every company out there said to some degree or another, you know what, we need to be a, wait for it, we need to be a, a thought leader in our industry. Because if we can be a thought leader, then we're going to differentiate ourselves. If we can be a thought leader, we're going to set ourselves apart. If we can be a thought leader, then our customers and potential customers will, will come to us first because they know that they can believe us. They know that they can trust us. They know that we have smart things to say. They'll know that we're on their side. And so over the last five years, everyone has essentially called the exact same play of being a thought leader. And marketers these days are now better equipped with the tools, the machinery, the infrastructure to make good on that promise better than ever before. So we've all doubled down on content marketing. We've all gone out and bought marketing automation. We've all gone out and built dashboards that tell us on the first Tuesday of every month, we got to put out another blog post. And so now we're flooding the world, not just with content, but with better content than ever before, with better data, better analytics. And you know what's left our customers? Completely overwhelmed, confused at a higher level because everybody's saying smart things and no one really knows what to do. And that's where we are today. In episode 75, we welcomed Mark Hunter, the sales hunter. Mark has been quite successful for years. And when we spoke, the world was beginning to emerge from lockdowns and the pandemic. Mark pointed out that the foundation of great sales conversations remains, even as the media and channels involved in communication have changed dramatically. The foundational elements have never changed. It's just for many years, they were ignored. What do I mean by that? So many times what happened is salespeople would get on the phone or they say, hey, let's have a demo. Let's have a demo. And demo is code word for I'm going to do all the talking and you, the customer, is just going to sit there and listen. Now, I think what's happening is people are having much better conversations. Every sales team I talk to, every salesperson I talk to says, I'm having more conversations on the telephone than ever before. People are actually answering the phone because we have this social distance. People actually are craving, hey, there's somebody to talk to. I'll even talk to the salesperson. Now, What's also happening is that there's a lot more empathy. There's a lot more authenticity. And again, this was missing in far too many. We're going to come out of this. 
really every salesperson being a much better salesperson because we're realizing three things, authenticity, integrity, and trust. Let's break those down. Authenticity. Authenticity means I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to share my backstory too. Hey, you're right. I've got two kids at home. I have my wife's working at the kitchen table. I'm taking the one bedroom. Again, it's, it's, it's that authenticity of sharing the story. Integrity. Integrity is demonstrating respect. Integrity is demonstrating that, hey, I may be talking to you and you're fine, but you just found out that your spouse just lost his or her job. Or maybe you've got elderly parents that you're deeply concerned with. It's the integrity of saying, hey, I'm going to help you out with this and actually doing it. It's the integrity of saying, hey, you're going to get this by a certain date and you do get it. What does that do? That creates a level of trust. Trust is the currency of business. Trust is the foundation from which sales are made. My whole objective right now, I may not be able to convince you to get you to buy anything. And really, for that matter, I don't want you to buy anything you don't need. I only want you to buy if I, if I can demonstrate and prove to you that I can help you see and achieve what you didn't think was possible. But if that happens or does not happen, I'm still creating trust. And that trust allows me to earn the right, the privilege, honor, and respect to be able to come back and talk with you again. And if I do that, you know what? That's a good day. You might know Jeb Blunt as the hardest working man in sales, as a multiple best-selling author, as the leader of the annual Outbound Conference, or all of the above. When Jeb joined us in episode 91, he shared a number of insights from his book titled Inked. That one is about effective negotiation within the context of a sales process. Listen to Jeb and you might want to rewind this segment a few times. Power, as we've described, is derived from uh, your alternatives. So the more alternatives you have, for example, you know, Jim, let's just say you're the only person in town selling lumber and there are multiple builders, then you as the seller have massive power. Now, in that situation where you have massive power, if you leverage that power the wrong way, then you're going to end up destroying relationships with builders who, when you don't have power, won't want to do business with you anymore because they realize that you took advantage of the situation. So you got to be very careful. That doesn't mean that you can't raise your prices because you know pure economics, supply and demand matter. But giving it to somebody just because you can isn't always the best thing to do because in sales, it's not just about selling it once. It's about building a long-term relationship. Now, clearly, if you're selling ice and it's in the middle of a hurricane and you're only going to be there selling ice once, none of that matters. But when we're talking about B2B complex sales, these long-term relationships do matter and you can be careful how you use your power. However, in most cases, the seller enters the relationship in a weaker power position than the buyer because the buyer has alternatives. One of those alternatives is to do nothing. They always have that alternative. One of the alternatives is to do it themselves. They could do it in-house. Then they have all the different competitors out there. They could do things in different configurations. They could choose different ways of doing things, but they have different alternatives. That gives them power. So what you want to do is you want to, in the sales process, either eliminate something as an alternative. So for example, if you said I could do it in-house, 
then I might ask questions around that process to help you become aware that that really isn't something you want to do. So for example, let's just say that I've got Salesgrave University. It's an LMS. It's software as a service. I, I buy the software from someone else. And I said, well, I, I could build it my, on my own. And then you said, well, tell me about your plans for doing that. And as I started walking you through the plans, I become aware that that's really not something I could do. I'm saying it, but it's not really an alternative because I don't have a software team that could build that. I can't do this. It's too expensive. All the things that come with building a software program. So what I'm doing through the sales process is I'm trying to build motivation. I want you to be motivated to do business with me. I'm using the relationship to do that. At the same time, I'm asking questions. I'm uncovering problems and issues and alternatives. I'm finding out what it is that you want. I'm able to look at even things my competitors offer and ask questions that show you that those things aren't bright as shiny as they might be. But I'm either neutralizing, when I say neutralize is I'm making those alternatives feel like they're less like alternatives or I'm eliminating them altogether. So my goal is to reduce the number of perceived alternatives that the buyer has, right? While increasing the individual stakeholders motivation to do business with me. In the middle of all this is something called leverage. Leverage is anything that you have that someone else wants that you're able to use to bend their behavior in a way that you want their behavior to bend. This is important because in most cases, the buyer has more power. Either they're bluffing you, like they're telling you, I got competitors out here. You don't always know, or you know they have competitors, or you know they have alternatives, but they're almost always in a stronger position as you are. And by the way, this is something that most sales experts and trainers don't tell salespeople. They're like, you know, you got to go to the top, go to the CEO, do this, do this. But they don't really get the truth is, is that in most cases as, as a seller, you're not in the power position and you're not going to be in the power position. You use leverage to put yourself in the power position because when the buyer has alternatives, they say to the seller, I don't really want to go through all these steps in your sales process. Just give me your prices. I don't want to go in these steps in the sales process. Just give me your information. I don't really want to go in these sales processes. Do this for me. In most cases, the salespeople dance. And if you have an empty pipeline, you are definitely dancing, like you're breakdancing for them. <laughs> because you think since they have the power that you have to dance to their tune. What really good salespeople do, and this is the art, like this is the symphony of selling, is they say to the buyer, I get that you have all these, this power. I get you have all of that, but I got information that you want. You want my prices. You want my proposal. You want my free consulting. You want those things. And I'm willing to give you those things, except for you got to pay a price for it. I never give my leverage away for free. Now, that's not how they say it. They say it like this. They say, Jim, I, I totally get that you want to see my prices. And most of my competitors are happy to just to give you prices because they have a box and they force all their customers to fit into the same box. But Jim, that's not how I do business. The thing is, is I recognize that each of my customers is unique and different and all of their situations are different. So for me to give you a proposal, what you're looking for, I need to get to know you better. And all I'm looking for is just to spend a little bit of time asking you some questions, making sure I truly understand your goals, understand your operations, understand how you do things. And then I'm going to come back with a blueprint for exactly how we would serve your company, give you some prices that you can work with, because at the end of the day, we're going to build the box around you. And so I'm only going to need about 30 minutes and I'm going to need that next week to come walk through your plant. And then I shut up. Finally, in this digest, I wanted to include part of my conversation with Dory Clark. Dory is one of the most highly acclaimed thinkers and consultants in the world, as well as a multiple best-selling author. 
She's one of the brightest and most effective entrepreneurs and communicators I know. Dory was even kind enough to write the foreword for my book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. Dory speaks to global companies as well as entrepreneurs and career changers, many of whom struggle with selling themselves. In our conversation, Dory spoke to the power of stories, as well as an approach that you can use to help your team sell more, even if not everyone is comfortable with selling. I'm actually a really big fan of story banks, meaning making a conscious effort for you personally or your company to collect anecdotes and write them down, you know, log them and write them down that illustrate certain key points that you want to have. So for instance, let's say whatever your company does, you have three products or three, you know, three services that you provide. If you can have, let's say, three stories that you kind of keep in rotation, you know, I mean, more is better because they can be as targeted as possible. But let's say for starters, you have three stories about each of those three service lines. That's that's actually amazing because it does a couple of things. One, is it enables you when you're talking to prospective customers or the media or whomever to just get a better sense of what you do. People remember stories a lot more. You might say, oh, I do, you know, integrated network, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're not going to get it. But if you tell a story about a successful engagement with a client, it makes a lot more sense and sticks with them. Second, it enables you, frankly, to sell without selling because nobody perceives it as, oh, he's making a sales pitch when you're telling a story about somebody that you've helped. But if you tell that story, it's actually a very powerful powerful way to get the person listening to say in their own head, oh, I'm, I'm like that person. I could probably use that service as well. And so they're, they're basically making the sale for themselves. So there's, there's really a lot of virtue to it. Well, that's our first stab at a digest episode. Please let me know what you think. And if you haven't done so already, then I would really appreciate your subscribing to the show and leaving us your five-star review, because that helps other revenue and business leaders like you to find us. You've just heard a few experts speak to the importance of approaching your sales conversations as a good and trusted problem solver, of asking good questions, of having relevant stories that have been vetted, packaged, trained, and rehearsed, so that everyone on your team or in your company can lead relevant sales conversations effectively. That will grow your business because Let's face it, most companies struggle with this. If any of these issues are a challenge for you, and they're holding your team back, especially as we navigate a recession and prepare for a new calendar year, then it is time to build a plan. You'll want to identify which specific conversations are most important to your growth plans and why, then create a playbook you can use for better messaging plus training and coaching to it. That is the work I do for my clients, and if I can help you strategize what needs to happen, who should be involved, and how to start next year strong, then let's have our own conversation. You can reach me at jim at jimcar.com, that's K-A-R-R-H, and my mobile number is on the website at jimcar.com. I tailor speaking, leadership, and training programs according to the message you need to convey, the opportunities to create and equip your messengers, and the best ways to build management habits that build long-term advantages without you having to change your products or pricing or business model. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. 
Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.